Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Welcome back, friends, to Walking with Freya. I am Annie, your host, in case you didn't already know that, but I'm sure you do. <laughs> Sorry these episodes have been a bit sporadic lately. Um, if you haven't noticed, it's a bit crazy out in the world, and that's thrown me off a bit. Mostly it's having my girls home all the time, but it is now summer, and they would have been home all the time anyway, so, well, good point. All right, but we'll move on. So I'm also recording this with my dogs in the room, so you might hear some scratching. Um, but I just really want to get this out. I did this interview a few weeks ago. Um, but I hope that you caught the last episode. If not, please go back and check it out. It's Racism in Education with Jamila Bashir, a special education teacher and IEP coach. It was definitely an eye-opener for me, and I'm excited that Jamila and I will be actually talking again soon, and we're going to discuss how we can talk to our kiddos about racism. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation because I know that I, for one, have a lot to learn. But today... I'm excited to bring you a special episode with Ido Kadar, a 24-year-old author with non-speaking autism. Yep, my first ever guest to use a voice app for the interview. So I don't know that I've ever actually spoken with someone who uses a voice app, so I was really excited and honestly a little nervous for this conversation, especially to do it over the phone when you can't look at each other's face and get the uh, <clears throat> get the you know facial cues and all of that, but. Ida was very kind and honest in answering my questions, and you'll notice probably that my questions are very succinct, well, more than usual, and that there are not very many uhs and you knows, um, which I don't know if they make you as crazy as they make me, but you know, (laughs) there you go. But my questions were pre-written and then sent to Ido, so he had the opportunity to type out his answers, and this was at his request in an effort to save time. And then after we spoke, I had the opportunity to speak with his mother for a bit to hear her perspective on the amazing things that Ido has done. Oh, and did I mention he's an author? I mentioned that, right? Yeah, not just one book, but two. Two books. He's 24. He's written two books. The first one was Ido in Autism Land, a memoir he wrote as a teenager. The newest one, In Two Worlds, is a fictional novel looking at autism from the inside out. There are powerful messages to be learned in this episode. I've pulled out a few, I've pulled out one quote from Ido to take us into this episode, but before I do some quick business, the writing journal, there's joy to be found here, a writing journal for parents of children with special needs is a creation of mine to help you parents and caregivers write and process your journey and the myriad of emotions and experiences that we have. And that is available on my website. And there's a digital version available for only $10, which I think is quite a deal. And if you would like a hard copy, if you're like me, I'm one of those people who likes to have a book in my hand, especially if it's a collection of my writing, but it's also available or a collection 
of space to write. It's a writing journal. Um, there is some writing in there, but there's mostly writing prompts and space to write. And that is also available. That's for $25. And you can find both of these on the bookstore page of my website at annfricky.com. You can also find the podcast episodes and other writings on my website. And my dogs are closing in and Freya just woke up. And uh, so we'll get through this. <laughs> Sorry for the background noise. Um, please rate and review this podcast. It helps more than people realize. If you listen on iTunes, just scroll down and you see ratings and reviews. And you'll see the stars that say tap to rate. <clears throat> Beneath that, there are some reviews you can read. And under that, it says write a review. If you've been listening and getting something from this podcast, finding connections and enjoying the stories and information, then please take a moment, do me a favor, and write a review. I would be incredibly grateful. Thank you to all who have already rated and reviewed the podcast. And now to lead us into this inspiring conversation with Ido Kadar, I'll read a quote from his interview to set the stage. Ido says, One theory widely believed about my disability is that we lack creativity, imagination, insight, and empathy. I hope my book turns that nonsense on its head. Today, I'm speaking with Ido Kadar, a 24-year-old writer, novelist, and advocate who has non-speaking autism. His first book, a memoir entitled Ido in Autism Land, Climbing Out of Autism's Silent Prison, challenges members of the professional community to look at autism theories with fresh eyes. His newest book, In Two Worlds, is believed to be one of the only works of fiction ever written by a person with non-speaking autism. Ido spent the first seven years of his life in silence with no means to show his intelligence. Thankfully, technology has helped change that, and we are grateful to have him here on the podcast to share his story. Ido, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. It is my pleasure to talk with you today. Nice. So, Ido, can you describe that moment when you were seven? when you realized that there was a way to effectively communicate to someone. So forgive me if this seems off base, but I was reminded of the scene in that old Helen Keller movie when Ann Sullivan, Helen's teacher, is holding her hand under the water spigot in the yard and pressing the sign for water on Helen's hand. So essentially the aha moment when Helen realizes there's a way for her to speak. So for you, was it like that? climactic aha moment or was it a gradual collection of steps and realizations or perhaps a series of trials and errors how did you find your voice i was the opposite of helen keller she didn't realize that objects and concepts had labels her epiphany was that the person spelling in her palm was spelling a label which represented the object this enabled her to learn and to understand them then to communicate I already understood everything. It was the world that didn't know it. I knew labels. I knew they represented objects and concepts. And I knew I was trapped. Helen did not know that because her prison was dark and silent. She was cut off from input. I saw, heard and understood, but I was cut off from output. My disability is a motor disconnect from my thoughts not a disconnect from information or understanding. This means my motor system doesn't obey my mind in a consistent way. This was much worse when I was younger, 
So, the aha moment was not mine. It was my mother's. She realized I was understanding her words and that I could read and spell. It was a surprise and a shock for her because what the experts had been telling her about me and autism had been very wrong. I was glad someone finally realized I was intact intellectually, but it was the beginning of a long journey to improve my communication skills moderately so no one could doubt that it was really me communicating. And then my fight was to get an appropriate education. Unlike Helen, I had to fight against theories that wrongly characterized my disability. So how was it to transition from, as it's been said, locked in silence to finally having a voice to express yourself? Was it as beautiful and liberating as many would imagine? It was beautiful and liberating in some respects because I at last had the possibility of communicating, but it was not the fluent communication I enjoy now. That took a long time of practice. Sensitism theories assume we have no insight or ability to understand people and my new communication skills were rough and required prompts. The experts in my life rejected that I was even communicating. I eventually got good enough to prove myself, but not as a beginner. So I only have communication with my mom at home and with my teacher who taught me to type to communicate. It was really terrible to not be believed. I had a lot of anger. To be honest, because my communication did not positively impact my education for several years, except for what I learned at home. It took almost four years to get me out of autism class and into general education, so yes, liberation from total isolation was incredible, but to be treated like a fraud by so-called experts was cruel, and I had resentment about it. I have never fully accepted the expertise of the experts since. Mm. Were there frustrations and challenges in the beginning of this transition? Transition, If so, what were they and how did you overcome them? As I described, there were a lot of frustrations and I was just a little boy. The process of overcoming is due to a lot of factors. One is my supportive family, especially my parents. They were not going to back down because they knew I had to get an education and they definitely knew that the theories were wrong in my case. I was quite determined and I had a need to help not only myself, but other autistic people. I had big goals and was motivated. Now there are many who type to communicate, but back then, we were a rare handful, so easily dismissed as anomalies. Finally. I am pretty intelligent and I like to think that helped too because I observed the experts, the autistic kids and the entire system of special education and then I had my books. People say in two worlds is true to life and though it is fiction, there isn't a false note or character. Hmm. When you meet someone and they learn that you use the iPad to speak, how do people typically react? Are they insecure, confused, uncomfortable, or do people seem to adjust easily? And how would you like people to react? Well, my disability is apparent. Autism is not entirely invisible. I have random or erratic movements. If I meet new people, I am motivated to type and converse fairly quickly to prevent the baby talk I might otherwise hear. 
I don't keep my iPad on me all the time. I get lazy and I might not feel chatty in the moment. For outings we usually just bring a laminated letter board along. Many times I have to tell people to talk normally to me. Most people try to be nice and talk as if I were a little boy. That is something I hate but I can't stress over random strangers. If it's someone I know then they have learned how to communicate normally with me. It is different in my home. There I deserve to be talked to appropriately for an adult. So let's talk about your writing. What is the premise of your novel, In Two Worlds? In Two Worlds is the story of Anthony, a boy with autism who cannot speak or communicate his ideas. No one has any clue that he understands everything he hears, not even his loving family. He starts out at seven at the beginning of the novel, getting hours of therapy, behavioral therapy, speech therapy, art and so on. He has little hope of progressing, and less hope of being able to show his intelligence. The book takes the reader into his thoughts and senses. The reader alone knows he is intact inside. The reader is privy to his thoughts, emotions, frustrations, loneliness, and his escape into stems that intoxicate his senses. Into Worlds takes the reader into his baffled and overwhelmed family's efforts to help and understand Anthony and into controversies in autism education and how impact Anthony's life so significantly. Finally it follows his journey to communication at 16 and his liberation to becoming a free soul. It is autism from the inside out. It is true to life. And what was your favorite part about writing the novel? I have a nonfiction book, Edo in Autism Land, that I wrote when I was a teenager. It has had a significant impact on the lives of autistic non-speakers and their families. I have continued to write nonfiction in my blog, edoinautismland.com, basically continuing where my memoir left off. I have made inroads reaching out to families and professionals through my nonfiction writing, but I realized the general public knew very little about autism. In addition, I craved a challenge and a new creative experience. Writing a fictional story about an autistic boy gave me the opportunity to do so much more than nonfiction allows. Instead of me describing and explaining what autism is like, fiction lets the readers experience autism for themselves. They go into the Anthony's, the protagonist, head to swirl with his senses, hear his thoughts and face his outer challenges. Fiction let me create a true-to-life family and show how autism impacts them, for good and bad. It also gave me the chance to lay out current controversies through a variety of characters that have a huge impact on Anthony's life. In essence, fiction takes the reader on a journey into Odd Iceland and exposes the reader to a new world that I hope will prompt social change and greater understanding and tolerance of non-speakers. Inventing characters villains and heroes, and the world of a family was incredibly enjoyable. I knew their world. I heard their conversations in my mind. The characters were vivid to me and they became real to me and they became real to readers too. It is worth mentioning that one theory widely believed about my disability is that we lack creativity, imagination, insight and empathy. 
I hope my book turns that nonsense on its head. What would you like the reader to learn from this novel? My hope is that by going into the head and heart of Anthony that readers will be moved and gain insight into the experience of what it is like to live bombarded by sensory stimulation, but to be unable to communicate your thoughts and show people who you really are. It is important to understand that many people believe not speaking autism is a language processing and cognitive disability, when for me, and Anthony, and thousands of others, it is actually a motor disability along with highly overloaded sensory input. So autism itself is a huge challenge and very frustrating. It prevents people from moving and behaving as they like and means they must always have some kind of supervision in life. But the misunderstanding of the disability just makes the situation exponentially worse, as you see throughout the book when Anthony is misunderstood by nearly everyone in his life. I hope that the reader would be more sensitive to non-speakers more open-minded and willing to rethink theories. Not talking is not the same as not thinking. So along with being a writer, you serve on the board of directors for Communication First. Can you please tell us more about this organization and the role you have with them? Communication First is a new civil rights organization that is advocating for the rights of people who can't speak verbally due to disability, illness or other cause. It is not just focusing on people with autism. Other people may also use augmentative devices to communicate. Think of Stephen Hawking, for example. Nevertheless, this maligned group of people suffer discrimination more than average because of their communication challenges in schools medically and legally. My involvement, as a founding board member, is to help use my expertise for this important and worthy organization. And what would you like people to know about non-speaking individuals with autism, and how can people be of service? I'm going to give you an analogy to help describe autism. Try to imagine being paralyzed. You tell your body to move and it refuses. Your brain is okay, it's the disconnect that causes the problem. Now imagine that your body is moving around, but doesn't obey your brain. The result may be impulses, motor patterns and erratic movements. It may be the body being under-responsive, or charging ahead when you want it to be calm. That's autism. Kind of a moving paralysis. It is not a lack of thought or understanding, though the motor trap may make it resemble one, especially in small children. In addition, the sensory system can be highly sensitive and may take in too much information at once. I wrote a blog post called The Autism Experience Challenge at edoinautismland.com to give people a taste of what we experience on a daily basis. Brave people may want to try it out. My advice to people is to talk to us normally. No more baby talk. Give people communication and education. Be empathetic. Sometimes someone is trying their best and their body simply is not cooperating. It is my hope, it is my hope that in two worlds prompts increased tolerance and genuine change in society. 
Ido, thank you so much for speaking with me. It has been such a pleasure. I have enjoyed this interview. I wanted to share a little bit about where listeners can find my books. In Two Worlds is recommended by Kirkus Reviews and Booklift, where it was a quarter-finalist in fiction. You can find both In Two Worlds and Edo in Autism Land on Amazon, Kindle, Smashwords as an e-book, and my memoir Edo in Autism Land is also available on Nook. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I'll be sure to have links for that stuff in the uh, show notes. And now we can take a moment and hear from Ido's mother, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, it's my pleasure to be here as well. Yeah, thanks. So, so I, the first question that I asked Ido was about his transition from being non-speaking to finding a voice. And I love that he said, because um, I gave the example of Helen Keller and uh, he, um, he said the aha moment was not his, but yours. And so as his mother, what, how was that whole experience for you? Um, it was pretty remarkable. Um, and because it happened in a kind of a, an unexpected way, uh, Ido's written about it uh, in Ido and Autism Land, but he, he, when he was little, he really could not hold a pencil by himself. So somebody had to help him hang on to the pencil. And we were just working on his birthday party invitations when he was seven and I was telling him each letter to write and he'd be moving his hand under my under my hand and at some point I forgot to spell something out and just said the word and I felt the pencil moving under my hand. And um, that happened with, you know, when I realized that that was happening, you know, um, I tested it on multiple words and then it just became evident and the the typical response at that time would be that i was moving him and i didn't realize i was moving him and that's exactly how how uh what people told me but you know i, I knew that i i knew at that point because i'd had many other kind of um inklings and, and hints uh, of greater understanding but with the motor issues that he described, he couldn't sustain them consistently. And so when something's not sustained, then you're, you start to argue within yourself that you, you didn't really see it. And then everybody tells you that you didn't really see it mm -hmm. uh, because their data indicates something else. So at that point, I was so 100% sure um, that I wasn't gonna turn back. And I remember asking him at that time why he didn't show me before. And he wrote uh, under my hand, he wrote, I didn't know how to, um, but the the bottom line was that we had to find a way for him to be able to do it without somebody touching him, uh, for him to be able to do it on his own because because of the wall of skepticism that we encountered, and so that's what we pursued. Mm -hmm. And that must have been quite a journey. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I know just how, how uh, trying to get services or medications or anything like that, like it can be such a frustration. Um, was, it, was it pretty hard? Well, it's very easy to get the, what everybody's doing. I mean, it, at least where, where we live, that all the behavioral therapies and speech therapies, I mean, that's a piece of cake to get relatively. But mm -hmm. what we had to pursue in terms of having somebody who taught him how to communicate by 
pointing to letters. No, nobody did that because nobody thought that the kids understood. So why would they pr pursue it? So right. few kids that did, they were called one in a million or not really autistic or all different kinds of, of kind of ways of rationalizing it away. But the, the person who taught him, uh, Soma Mukhopadhyay, uh, she had, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of her. She's mm -hmm. the mother of Tito. She's the person who invented RPM or the rapid prompting method. And she had just moved to the U.S. from India. And so he was one of her very first clients. Uh, she's now uh, opened up her own institute. Uh, but at the time, uh, Ida was meeting with her in her apartment. So he was one of the, I mean, he truly was a, a one of a handful at that time. Now there's many, many more and people who read his book and were inspired, families that were inspired and more people who are uh, capable of instructing as well, but not, not when he started at seven now. Mm -hmm. It really, it really wasn't easy at all. Yeah, well, I don't imagine. I mean, that was, you know, yeah, he's 24 now, so yeah um well that's great that the 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 word is out and uh, more people are getting getting these services and this this kind of education um so your son has had many successes obviously what are what are you most proud of him for or one of the things you're most proud of oh gosh well i i would say his two books without without question um, and particularly, I, I think, you know, for all, for different reasons and for him graduating high school. Uh, so Ido graduated with all the trouble that we had getting him into gen ed. Um, he was so motivated and, and so determined. And he started getting into gen ed classes in, in sixth grade. Uh, started with two, then he went to three. And then by eighth grade at the IEP, the school said, let's just make him a gen ed student. So when he went into high school, I mean, he was, again, a trailblazer. Uh, he graduated fourth in his high school class with a diploma. So that's pretty determined. Um, and he wrote his first book just out of a need to help others and explain, uh, starting at 12 and he finished at 15 for Edo and Autism Land. So that is very proud of him for that because he's helped so many people through that book just uh um it's had a huge impact bigger than we ever anticipated and then this book into worlds which ito calls his masterpiece and and i i agree is just an incredible work of fiction and also i believe it is we we have not seen any evidence that there's others although there may be i we just don't know uh that a non a person with non-speaking autism has written a novel mm -hmm. a fictional book so um you know he's just been a, a trailblazer as he deals with a really tough disability that challenges him every day mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i i i wrote a novel at <laughs> 30 six or something and uh, I mean that was one novel that was that was a lot of work so yeah, he's 24 and he's got two under his belt I mean yeah. he's he's amazing yeah 
So what is your advice for other parents raising nonverbal or verbal children with autism? Um, well, well, you know, I, I'll speak both as a mom and, and as a professional because uh, I am a mental health therapist and I also do teach non-speaking autistic kids to communicate in the way Ido does. And, and I guess it really depends on where you are in, in the journey, you know. I, I would say that if your child isn't yet, yet communicating that, um, don't assume that you know what's in the head of a person who cannot get output. Um, one really doesn't know. And the output or what they're showing isn't necessarily matching the inside. Sometimes as he said, the person may be actually like begging their body to stop, uh, but they can't. Um, even while they're looking perhaps odd, they may be thinking quite sophisticated thoughts. And that's a, that can be a real uh, confusing experience for people who are just looking at, at behavior. Um, but if you see signs of intelligence, believe signs of intelligence you're seeing. You have nothing to lose by speaking normally to your child. You have nothing to lose by exposing them to interesting books and reading them stories. Just these little changes uh, families have told us have, have um, made a huge impact. And um, I think on a personal level for parents, because raising a child with special needs can be quite tough and emotionally draining at times is to make sure that you take care of your yourself in your relationship with your your partner and that you find time for yourself and for each other even if it's just a 10-minute vacation in your backyard mm -hmm. um right but just enough to kind of you know pull back mm -hmm. uh so that would be and to not neglect your other children when the special needs child, um, <laughs> the needs are uh, sometimes seen front and center all the time. So it's a, it's a whole lot. And then, yeah, be kind to yourself. <laughs>